morning our scripture reading is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 47 through 59. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to use one of the pew Bibles, it's on page 821. It's also on the screen as well. Beginning in verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear hear them is that you're not of God. Before Abraham was, I am. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up the stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim. There's a phrase we looked at last week, and I want us to consider it again this week. And it's a simple little statement that you may find to be true in your own life if you look back over uh, the course of your life for any length of time. And the statement is this, a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. Would you just say that with me one time? A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. We've been looking at this simple concept uh, through the lens of the Bible and seeing how it plays its way out with different lies we tell ourselves on Wednesday nights and Sunday morning. And so we, we looked at some lies we re- regularly tell ourselves, one being, um, I got this, uh, meaning I can do this by myself. I'm capable of doing this by myself. Another lie that we often tell ourselves is, well, it's just the way I am. I can't be changed. Nothing can change me. Last week, we looked at some lies we tell ourselves about freedom, uh, that freedom is having no master, or freedom is doing what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. These are all lies that we tell ourselves, and if we believe them, we will live as if they're true. And so this morning, from the passage that Jim read for us, I want us to look at another category of lies, religious lies that we tell ourselves. And religious lies are especially dangerous uh, because we can justify the religious lies we tell ourselves. We justify them in two main ways. First of all, from our heritage and our tradition. So because we grew up in a certain religious tradition or a certain religious heritage, uh, because we always heard our grandma say or our granddad say, uh, we just accept certain things to be true. 
Um, Some of them are harmless. For example, I'm sure you've heard uh, maybe a grandmother or a mother tell you at some point that cleanliness is next to... Yeah, and that sounds like it's in the Bible, but guess what? It's not. Now, there's nothing wrong with cleanliness. I think that's probably an okay thing to say. But there are other things that our traditions may tell us that may or may not line up with what the Scripture says. And and that's what makes it dangerous because we hear it from family, we hear it in our faith tradition, and we accept it as true. Another thing, another reason why religious lies are especially dangerous and how we justify them is that the Scriptures... And our interpretation of the scripture may not be exactly what line up with God's truth. So, so the scripture is unchanging, it's God's word, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm interpreting scripture the way that the Holy Spirit would have me interpret scripture. So we sometimes justify our bad theology or the lies that we're telling ourselves by using scripture. Jesus in his earthly ministry confronted people who were deceived by their religion all the time. It's one of the reasons he was in so much trouble with the religious leaders and the Pharisees throughout the Gospels. You see this played out especially in John's Gospel in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And and this is really important to understand, especially if you're here today and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And, And maybe you are believing religious lies based on what culture tells you about Christianity or what someone else has told you about Christianity, or the Christianity you think you've seen in a person. But here's what you need to know about Jesus. That Jesus did not come to make people religious. That is not why he came. Jesus came to offer people a relationship with God. That's the primary message of Jesus in the Gospels. Here, listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, just a few verses before what Jim read, verse 31 and 32. Here's what he said. If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, understanding truth, whether it's religious truth or any truth, comes from being close to Jesus Christ, comes from walking with Jesus and understanding Jesus. And so with that truth also comes freedom. There's a game our students uh, like to play. My, my kids will play it. Sometimes we'll play it in the car on a trip. Uh, if only, it only works if there's somebody not in our family with us. But it, it's a game called Two Lies and a Truth. And the way it works is uh, if you're in a mixed group of company, maybe you don't know each other well, uh, everybody's got to say two things about themselves that are lies and one thing that is truth. And everybody else has to guess what the truth is. Well, well, today, as we go through this passage that Jim read for us, I'd like for us to look at two religious lies that we tell ourselves, and one important truth that Jesus reveals to us in this passage. So I think these religious lies that the Pharisees believed are also lies that we can fall into. And maybe you're here today and you will find yourself thinking, I've believed that. I've believed that my whole life. And my prayer for you today is that, that, not that I would convince you differently, but by hearing God's word, that God's word and the spirit of God would reveal the truth to you. So two religious lies that we tell ourselves, we find these in this passage that the Pharisees were, were believing as they were talking to Jesus. The first one is this, I am right with God because of my religion and or ethnic heritage. Now what this means is basically because I was born a Jew, or because I was born a Baptist, or because I was born, you fill in the blank, my heritage, my biology, 
makes me right with God. Listen to what they said, uh, the Pharisees told Jesus in John 8, 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. So they were using that as justification for what they believed. And Jesus responded a few verses later in verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. So he concedes the fact that they have a particular religious and ethnic heritage. But here's what you should know. This argument could be offered by any ethnic or religious group. Anybody could say that. Anybody could say, well, my parents were Hindu. Well, my parents were Buddhist. Well, my parents were Muslim. Well, my parents were Catholic. Well, my parents were Presbyterian. The the issue, Jesus is saying, is not what your religious heritage is. It's not what it's about. That's not what I'm trying to talk to you about. I'm trying to talk to you about something much more important than that. Some of you are here today, and you are from a Catholic background, or maybe you were raised in in a Baptist background or Presbyterian background. But here's the question. Does that justify you with God? Does your religious heritage, your religious tradition, is that enough to make things okay between you and a holy and righteous God? And here's here's a more important question. What kind of God would that be? If if we worshipped a God who, who saw us as justified, made right because of who our parents were, and what race we were born into, what would that say about God? You see, we, that can't be right. I mean, your religious heritage, your religious background, your cultural background is important. And, and, and it is certainly something that God could use. But is it really what justifies us with God? Listen to what, uh, the, how the conversation goes on. Verse 39, the Pharisees again answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, this is really important because Jesus defines sonship not by biology. He, he, he defines the, the, the relationship to Abraham not through the fact that they are genetically connected, but he connects it in terms of their obedience. Are you doing the things that Abraham would do? That's what connects you to faith. That's what connects you to, to Abraham, really. Not just the fact that you have a biological connection. Listen to what he said in verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You see, just because you have your name on a religious roster in some religious organization or church doesn't mean that you're right with God. What matters, Jesus said, is if you are abiding with him. If you're walking with him on a daily basis, are you remaining connected to Jesus Christ? The fact that your religious heritage, your biological, your cultural heritage, while, that is, while that's significant and that's important and that's even God-ordained, God-ordained that you were born in that family, it's not what makes you right with God. Jesus denies that the Pharisees were children of God. He, he goes even a step further. He says, based on your actions, in fact, you are sons of the devil. And this is an important thing, I think, for us to understand because you'll hear this in culture a lot when people will say, well, we're all just children of God. Everybody's a child of God. Maybe you've even said that. I know I've said that before. But it's important that we take that idea and we measure it against what the Scripture says. Because according to Scripture, in fact, we are not born children of God. We are created by God. We are created in His image even. But the Bible actually says that we are enemies of God. That's the bad news. That we're enemies of God, but God 
has decided to take it upon himself to be reconciled with us. And it's even better than that, because it's not just that God is trying to be reconciled with us who were enemies of God, but God, in fact, wants to adopt us as sons and daughters. Some of you are here, and you were adopted. You were adopted, your parents adopted you. Um, Others, maybe you have adopted children. Uh, Do do you realize and recognize the significance of the relationship of an adopted parent to an adopted child? That that child was chosen, selected, and then brought in to be a full part of the family. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. That's what the Bible teaches us. Not that we're born children of God, but that in fact we were born and we were separated from God and God has decided to adopt us as his sons and daughters. And see, the Pharisees, at the heart of their religious problem, at the heart of the lie they were believing, they believed that they didn't need to be reconciled with God. They, they believed in their minds that they were already okay with God just because of their biological heritage and traditions. And, and listen, listen, some of you are believing that lie. Some of you are believing that just because you are involved in a particular religious experience, just because your parents are who they were, and I'm not trying to downplay the significance of of those religious experiences for anyone, but I am saying that according to what Jesus said to the Pharisees, that is not enough. That God wants to be reconciled with you through a relationship. That's what Jesus is offering. That's what Jesus is calling the Pharisees out and saying, you are believing a lie, a religious lie, and a dangerous religious lie that says as long as you're connected to the right heritage, as long as you're connected to the right religion, then you're okay with God. So as he's saying this, the Pharisees make a subtle but a very interesting shift in their argument, and it reveals another lie that they were believing. Listen to this second lie that we sometimes believe, the second religious lie says this, I am right with God based on my moral standards. Now, this one actually may find its way into our hearts and minds more than even the first one. Maybe you understand and recognize, you know what? I know that my relationship with God isn't, uh, isn't based on just my biological or my religious heritage. But you believe that somehow, based on your moral standards and your moral behavior, that that's what makes you right with God. Because this is what the Pharisees were believing. Listen to what they said to Jesus. This is a very rich verse in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 41. Listen to what they said to him. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, this is interesting because most people believe that this is, a, uh, this is sort of a subtle Uh, slight at Jesus and his biological heritage. Because you remember the circumstances that surrounded Jesus' birth. Do you remember the stories that went around Bethlehem? That an angel had appeared to Mary and said that she was going to conceive a child as a virgin and give birth to this baby and this baby would be the son of God, the, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And Joseph tried to put her away quietly and then the angel appeared to Joseph and said, no, Joseph, this child is, is, is born of God. This is the son of God. You need to marry her and you need to father that child as if that child were your own. It was a miraculous encounter when God uh, entered into humanity. And, and so The rumors, though, about Jesus continued to circulate, and people still continued to question his upbringing. Some of us in this room know what that's like. 
Some of you in here may have been born out of wedlock. Maybe your mother and father were never married. And that stigma, that, that sort of scarlet letter may have followed you around. Maybe it was something that you struggled with as you were growing up. Jesus himself had the same struggle. There were people who questioned, how can this guy be the Messiah? How can he be a good teacher? After all, he was born out of immorality. So when the Pharisees make this statement, they, they aren't just talking about their own moral standard. Hey, our parents were married before they conceived us. We were, born, we were legitimate children. You, Jesus, are an illegitimate child. Isn't that a terrible thing to call a child? But that's what they're saying. And and in so doing, they're they're suggesting that somehow their moral standard is what is making them right with God. And at the same time, it's disqualifying Jesus to uh, to, to be who he's claiming to be. Interesting that they had just witnessed, if you go back and you read verses 2 through 11, they had just experienced uh, an encounter where the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees had brought back a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And in this encounter, Jesus obliterated their argument that somehow their moral standards made them right with God. Remember, remember the story, the woman's there before Jesus, and Jesus' word to all the Pharisees is, let you who is without stone uh, let, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And what happened? They all dropped their stones and they left because they recognized none of them were good enough. And that's what we need to remember the Bible says about us. That's the truth the Bible says about us. That none of us are good enough. None of us will ever be good enough. And if you think, well, wait a minute, because the Bible tells me what is good. The Bible instructs me in how to live my life. Have you ever read the whole Bible? Nobody's that good. Nobody. None of us can ever achieve God's moral standard. And in, in, in that moral standard is what it would take to be right with God. And none of us can do it. But the Pharisees believed that somehow they'd been able to accomplish this. Now, the inverse of both of these lies is also true. In other words, if you believe that I'm right with God because of my religious and, heritage, religious and uh, ethnic heritage, you may be here today and also believe, well, I can never be right with God because of my religious or ethnic heritage. Let me just talk to you for a second as well because that is also a lie. That that the message of the gospel is that whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever your background, whatever your experience, Christ died for you. Not when you were at your best, but actually when you were at your worst. Some of you are here today and you believe because of your lack of moral standards in the past, because of your behavior, because of bad decisions that you've made, somehow you are disqualified from a relationship with God. That's also a lie. And maybe it's a lie that religious people have reinforced to you. But, but the message of the gospel is that your good behavior is not enough to make you right with God. And your bad behavior isn't so bad that God can't rescue you from it. And that whether you were born into a family that, that loved Jesus or whether you were born into a family uh, that, that were not believers at all, you can be adopted as a son and a daughter of God. So what is the truth? The truth of the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming to the Pharisees in John chapter 8 is this. My relationship with God is justified through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That's what justifies us with God. That's what makes us right. That's what moves us from being enemies of God to being sons and daughters of God. So what does it mean to have a right relationship with Jesus? Well, let me just explain it maybe in in terms of how we relate to each other today. Because, you know, in order to relate to anybody, whether it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, in order to relate to anybody properly, you have to know who they are. You have to understand something about them. I'll give you an example in our own house. We, um, we have four kids. Our oldest is 19 and our youngest is 12. And um, something interesting happens every year. They get a year older. But for many, many years, we lived far away from, from family. And we still live a, a good distance, as many of you do as well, from, from some of our distant family. And here's what happens with family when you don't live around kids as they grow older. The kids stay the same age they were the last time you saw them. Some of you maybe have had that experience. Maybe, maybe you've got uh, young nieces, nephews, grandchildren who live in another state. So, so when my kids were small... Um, they, they would have an ex- experience with a grandparent, with an aunt or an uncle, and uh, they, the aunt or uncle might not see them again for another year or maybe even two years might be a, a gap of time there. But when, when they would see the child again, they would relate to the child as if the child was still, you know, five years old. They relate to the child as if the child's still a preschooler when now the children, child has kind of outgrown that. And in doing so, the relationship isn't made right anymore because they kind of come to us later and like, Dad, why did, you know, why did she give me this you know, baby gift? Or why, did, you know, why, does she, why is she talking baby talk to me? I'm not a baby anymore. You have to understand who the person is and where they are in order to be in a right relationship with them. Another example of this, um, when I was, my very first job when I was in high school, um, I worked for um, my grandfather at his gas station. And so I would, you know, I would check oil and pump the gas, still full service gas station. So I would pump the gas. Some of you don't know what that is. I'll tell you later. I would pump the gas for people as they would come in, you know, and run the cash register. And um, I was working at this gas station. Well, I was a high school student and had a lot of busy things going on. And so there were a couple times where, you know, I just would call out and not go to work. And I'm like, oh, it's my granddad. You know, it's, it's my granddad. I was relating to him as if he were my granddad. But guess what he really was? He was really my boss. Guess what happened? I got fired. <laughs> because in order to be in a right, right relationship with somebody, you have to know who they are. You have to understand that. That's what this means. That in order for us to be in a right relationship with God, we have to understand who Jesus is and we have to relate to him the right way. Many of the Jews in the crowd clearly did not have a right relationship with Jesus. Because they didn't understand, or they didn't want to understand, or they didn't want to accept who he really was. And, and Jesus was, was not coy about revealing his identity. He revealed it in ways that to us may seem a little confusing, but to his original audience was all too clear. Listen to what Jesus, listen to what Jesus said to them. Uh, they're, they're in this conversation. Jesus is claiming um, that God is not their father. And listen to what he says to them. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not from my, of my own accord, 
but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my words. See, anyone properly related to God will come to understand who Jesus is. Not only does Jesus point us to God, but for those who are earnestly seeking God, they will accept and understand the truth of what Jesus said about himself. So who do the Pharisees think that he was? Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Now, basically, in this comment, they're using a racial slur. And they're suggesting that Jesus' ethnic purity keeps him from having a right relationship with God and keeps him from being who he claimed to be. Because remember, they're still believing the lie that you're justified with God based on the family into which you were born. And so they're saying, aren't you a a Samaritan? Aren't, Aren't you disconnected from God because of your heritage? And they also say, basically, aren't you crazy? Don't you have a demon? Now, If you read all four Gospels, all four Gospels tell the story of Jesus. And in all four of them, Jesus is recorded uh, as having been accused of being crazy or having a demon. It's interesting for those who may question the New Testament and how reliable is the New Testament. Why would the disciples, the Gospel writers, have included this accusation that Jesus was crazy? Because Jesus must have been saying and doing things that were remarkable and disturbing enough that the people would say, that man is crazy. If he weren't doing anything that was remarkable, that was outside of the normal religious routine, they would have just accepted him. But clearly, Jesus was making outlandish claims. Why would the disciples have recorded that? Why would the gospel writers have put it in the scripture? Because it didn't help their cause. They're trying to write something that convinces people that Jesus is, in fact, God-made flesh. So why would they include it? Well, they would include it because they were so committed to reporting what actually happened that they did not filter out anything. But they understood and knew that the message, the power of the testimony of the resurrected Jesus would overcome all of the false claims and the false accusations that the Pharisees had made about Jesus. And so they all went ahead and included the fact that that they all claimed that Jesus was crazy. So the Pharisees are believing that they're justified with God because of their religious heritage, because of their ethnic heritage, because of their moral standards. And Jesus is saying, no, you are not justified with God for any of those reasons. And their answer back to Jesus is, well, you are an illegitimate child born of sin. You are a Samaritan and you are crazy. But what did Jesus say about himself? Verse 57, or 56 and 57. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He, was, he saw it and he was glad. Now, this is part of the reason that people thought Jesus was crazy. And, and listen, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, we would have to come to that same conclusion, wouldn't we? Because nobody says stuff like this. To give you an, an example, Abraham was as far removed in history from Jesus as Jesus is from you. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, that I was basically before Abraham. I was around before him. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old, and and have you seen Abraham? Now it's interesting, while the Pharisees are saying, hey, we're the sons of Abraham, 
Jesus nowhere in the Gospels ever claimed to be the son of Abraham. Instead, he said, I'm the son of God. I am God made flesh, come to live among you. I am before Abraham. I am not from Abraham. Abraham's from me. Listen to what he said. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and here it comes, I am. Now we read that and we move on. I mean, it's a kind of a crazy claim that Jesus existed before Abraham when Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born. But you have to understand what Jesus is actually saying. Before Abraham was, I am. Do you remember in the Old Testament when God appeared to Moses and Moses said, God, tell me your name because I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell all these Hebrews that I'm there to rescue them and to deliver them out of slavery and they're going to tell me I'm crazy and I need to be able to tell them what your name is and God's answer to him was Abraham God's answer to Moses was Moses I am that I am that's what you tell them my name is I am and so Jesus making this statement before Abraham was I am Am. Jesus is saying, I am God. This is the most direct statement that Jesus ever made about his identity. And listen, if you doubt that that's what he meant, his original audience completely believed that's what he meant. Because listen to what they did. So they picked up stones to throw at him, because, and, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The same thing happens again in John chapter 10, verse 30, when Jesus makes this statement. He says, I and the Father are one. And then right after that, we read again, the Jews picked up stones to kill him. You see, Jesus did not claim just to be a prophet of God or a priest of God or someone who came to tell people about God. Jesus' claim is that I am God. I am God made flesh. Come to live and dwell among you. Now, th- this can be confusing. Some of you maybe have questioned, how does this happen? Because Jesus also prays to God. So how does that work, that Jesus is praying to himself? How does it happen that Jesus talks about God, uh, talks to God, talks about God in a way that makes it seem like he's somehow separate from God? Let let me give you just a simple illustration that comes uh, from C.S. Lewis. It's a a beautiful illustration. Um, If an author had written a book, and in the book there were characters... Uh, in the book and the author somehow wanted the characters in the book to know him the author the only way that the author could reveal himself to the characters in the book is to write himself as a character in the book that he would place himself in the story and then the other characters in the book would come to know the author through the character that the author had inserted into the story. The character is the author, and the author is the character, but there's a separation between the two as the author is revealing himself in the book itself. This is what God did for us in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus can say, I and the Father are one. When you have met me, you have met the Father. If you love me, you love the Father. If you truly loved the Father, you would know me and you would love me. Jesus claimed to be God. But here's the question. Two lies and a truth. Who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe he is? 
the room is, is probably a, a mix. I would guess the vast majority of you would hear this and you would say, yes, I understand and know that Jesus is God. God made flesh, come to dwell among us. The, the author has written himself into the story of our lives that we might know him and be related, rightly related to him. Some of you might be here and you might say, you know what, I don't believe that. I, I believe that uh, Jesus and the teachings of Jesus have some good moral principles to us, but I, I reject the idea that, that Jesus was, in fact, God made flesh. And, and, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're hearing this, and I hope it challenges you because I think you've got a, a fundamental problem with that belief in that how can he be a good teacher speaking truth and say the things he said about himself? He would either be a, li- a liar or a lunatic, but he couldn't, certainly couldn't just be a good teacher. But, but let me talk to those of you who might say, you know what, I don't know. I'm sitting on the fence. I, I, something about fence sitting that I heard somebody say I thought was really true. Um, nobody straddles a fence with one leg on each side of the fence. I'll let you think about that for a minute. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, your legs on the fence are either on the side that, hey, maybe Jesus is who he claimed to be. Or maybe your legs are on the side of the fence that, like, I don't believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Your legs may be on one side of the fence or the other. But you're probably not straddling it. Isn't it an important enough idea and concept? Isn't it just possible that all the religious jargon and all the religious communication, all the things that you've heard in churches from preachers who do what I do, from isn't it just important enough to know what the truth is? And to explore the claims of Jesus. Because Jesus is inviting you to jump off the fence. And all of us who maybe are on the side of the fence that understand and accept that Jesus is God would say, yes, it's a leap of faith. But the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So today, the question is, who do you say Jesus is? What, are you, what do you believe? How are you made right with God? Is it because of your lineage? Is it because of your good behavior? Or is it because of God's great love and grace that he has made available to you through his son Jesus? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? We're going to have a time of commitment, a time of response, and um, maybe that's something you're not used to, but, but what we do is we stand together and we'll sing a song, a song that talks about the things that we believe, a statement of what we believe, And as we're singing that song, maybe you would want to just walk down the aisle, kneel at these steps and pray. Um, Maybe you'd want to come pray with me. Maybe there's someone else you'd want to pray with. But today, as we do this, we only offer this invitation to you uh, so that you can set a mile marker down. Maybe today's a significant day in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you want to remember this day. Build an altar, if you will, to say, I remember that day where I got off the fence. And I accepted the claims of Jesus that he is, in fact, God in flesh. And that I can be made right with God through him. We invite you just to come forward. Let me me pray for you. Let someone else pray for you. Pray by yourself at these steps. But we want to invite you during this time to respond as God leads. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to read the, the words of Jesus that were recorded and handed down. And Father, we may not always understand what the words mean but we know that within those words there is truth that can direct us not just for this life but throughout eternity 
And so today I pray, I pray for all of us who have been tempted to believe the lie that our religious heritage, our ethnic heritage is enough, who have somehow convinced ourselves that our moral standards are good enough for you. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to see that there is no, there's no family we can be born into, there's no code of moral behavior that we can adhere to that is ever enough to make us right with you. But we thank you today that you've sent your son Jesus, that, that through Jesus we can be made right with you. And Lord, today I pray for those who are on the fence. Lord, I pray that today maybe those whose legs are on the side of believing that Jesus is the great I am would jump off the fence, take that leap of faith, and find hope in this life and in the next through you. For we pray this in his name. And all God's people said, amen.